Welcome to Stream Theory, a podcast that we will be explaining shortly. I am Jackson uh, from the YouTube channel Skip Intro, and on the line with me is Thomas Flight from the YouTube channel by my name. It's very easy to remember. So we are two YouTubers, uh, YouTube video essay people, video people. essayists, if we want to be most pretentious about it. So we're we we've been talking back and forth uh, for a little while about all the kind of streaming news. Um, and by streaming news, we kind of mean all of the news that's been coming out about all of these different kinds of services, like Hulu, Netflix, the soon-to-be-launched Disney+, Plus, the soon-to-be-launched HBO Max, the soon-to-be-launched Apple TV, the soon-to-be-launched, uh, <laughs> you know, on and on we go. And we, we were talking for a while, um, just going back and forth about all the different stuff that was coming out and how that was going to totally change the landscape of everything. It developed very organically, I think, because we realized we were having these long discussions about streaming platforms and streaming content and TV and all these things. And we were kind of like, what if we started recording these? Because it's a it's becoming increasingly complex and there's so many moving parts and we're very interested i think in the in the way that that all affects ultimately the content that we get to consume and how we get to consume it so you know the, hopefully our discussions here can make navigating that world and having a you know 10 different streaming platforms that you quote unquote need to know about if you want to watch tv hopefully this these discussions will make navigating that world a little bit more uh, or we can do some of that work for you I actually reached out to you originally because I, I was interested in making a video on this topic and i think the more we talked about it the more we we're like this is way too big and fast changing of a of a concept to really put down in like one video that would be old in like a month um yes. <laughs> so <laughs> So something that we that came out of those discussions was that we were both fascinated with how much like inside baseball everybody needs to know now to get the content that they want. Right after we started talking, you know, Friends was moving, was getting pulled off of Netflix. Um, the Office was announced that it would be pulled and all these other things. And a lot of people that I know were kind of just like, I don't understand why everything is moving around or wait, who owns what and all of this other like distribution rights. And to kind of figure out what kind of streaming service you want to get the content you want, you're going to need to know that a little bit, which I thought was a big ask for companies, but also uh, an opportunity for us to kind of jump in and explain or talk about and how that's going to ultimately affect the content that you can consume. I think it's a, it's a unique landscape because if you look at other types of media like uh, music, music is super simple to consume right now. For the most part, you can have like one service and have like right. most music. And there's competing services that have a large extremely large overlap in the library they have to the point where like usually the discussion between like Google Play Music or YouTube Music and Spotify or Spotify and Apple Music right is less about the library that's kind of a small blip in terms of like these feature sets but with streaming TV right now uh, it's it's this weird wild world where like there's overlap and then there's not and things are move around and there's new services and you can't just go to the TV store and have like access to all the TV and pick out what you want you can't even have like it used to be you would have maybe a cable package with different channels extra channels that you could get but you were still getting it all from one place 
And now that's going away. You'll have to sort of cobble together your own quote-unquote cable package from all these disparate like places and subscriptions, and there's no like centralized hub. So th this streaming video landscape right now is like uniquely complex among like all kind of media consumption. Yeah, and I, I don't think that there's ever really been anything anything like this. Um, you know, when you buy a cable package, a bunch of other channels would get tacked on, um, which was part of the business model that kept these other channels alive. And now you're going to basically pick and choose between, you know, the five or six channels, in quotes, channels, um, yeah. <laughs> like Netflix and Hulu and these other channels that aren't just distribution services, but they're also producers. And because there's that kind of... Um, consolidation. Yeah, consolidation of these two industries. You kind of end up making a lot more of a choice when you pick a service than you did before. Right. Uh, all that to say, this show, uh, Stream Theory, is going to be about kind of diving into that news and then trying to apply it to the, the shows that we are watching. Um, so basically, we'll run through a number of news stories, maybe one big one and a couple little ones. And then we're going to also talk about a show that's on a streaming service and try to talk about that kind of streaming landscape in the context or through the lens of that individual show. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well done. <laughs> All right. I was formulating that in my head for a while. <laughs> you nailed it. All right, cool. So that being said, uh, why don't we jump into our, our first story here? Our first story on our first episode, if you don't count the pilot episode that no one will ever listen to, um, which is the recent CBS and Viacom merger. For those of you who don't know, CBS is one of the old four major channels. If you're listening to this, you're probably listening to a podcast and therefore are not old enough to be a target demo of CBS, a uh, <laughs> channel that produces stuff like NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, and NCIS New Orleans. Um, among, I'm sure they have other shows, but I don't know what among they are. Among other NCIS. <laughs> <laughs> um, or as Bojack Horseman calls it, Nickus. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, they apparently they used to be part of the same company as Viacom, which owns stuff like Comedy Central. Viacom, Viacom is one of those companies that doesn't put their name on everything, so you don't know what it, exactly it is that they do. They have BET, MTV, Paramount, Nickelodeon, MTV, VH1, yeah, um, a lot of music stuff, um, just kind of a hodgepodge of basic cable uh, stations. And they used to be part of the same company as CBS, and CBS and them have kind of been circling each other for a couple years, and now they're finally going to merge. And at first, I thought this was like a huge deal. I was thinking this is CBS kind of like grabbing assets to really push CBS All Access and their streaming service library into that kind of Netflix, Disney, Hulu tier. But the more I read about it, the more it seems like it's kind of just... Yeah, they merged. Yeah, they're bigger, but they're still like really tiny. Yeah, I think that's one of the the interesting takeaways here is even with these two large companies sort of merging together, they're still a fairly small fish when compared against Netflix, Comcast. This basically, I guess it looks like would bring them a, a little bit over the size of like Fox in terms of like market cap. Which um, is now a small part of Disney. <laughs> right, yeah. So these two companies merging now makes them the equivalent of a tiny piece of Disney. <laughs> so uh, it's significant 
you know, in that it might allow, like, you're correct, like, CBS All Access to be a little bit more fleshed out eventually, in theory. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite bring it up to the scale of, like, Verizon, Comcast, AT&T, Netflix, the, the, these larger players. Yeah. I, I actually am kind of, the more I think about this story, the, the more I'm kind of bummed about it. Um, because... As someone who who tries to watch as much TV as possible, I've always been like frustrated by the shows that are on Viacom because they are like incredibly hard to find on streaming. If you have on demand, you can watch them for like a couple weeks and then they take them off. Anything that's on Comedy Central, um, if you've ever tried to watch any of those shows, you'll know that they just get like yanked after not that long. And you yeah. can't watch it on Comedy Central's website unless you have a subscription to a cable package and they never go on Hulu or rarely, um, I guess Broad City did, but for the most part, they kind of just hoard everything in these places that you can never really see. And I kind of have felt the same way about CBS All Access for a little while, because <laughs> every once in a while I'll hear about a good show that's there, but I'm not going to subscribe to CBS All Access to watch one show I have, or two shows. I have done that. Uh, I've subscribed to it for short periods of time to get access to the latest Survivor episodes as they come out. Um, and I didn't watch anything else on <laughs> CBS All Access <laughs> while I had it. The only other thing that I, I know is on CBS All Access that I want to watch is, is the the good fight with Christine Baranski. I've just heard really good things about it, but I've never yeah. seen it. And to be perfectly honest, I probably never will. And now to see all these other these other Viacom assets possibly going behind that same Iron Curtain is it, it's not like the darkest timeline for me, but it's not something that I'm I'm excited <laughs> about. You know, um, yeah. I, was, I guess I was kind of hoping that eventually that stuff would find its way onto Hulu or something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's it's another sign that sort of this dream, I guess the original Hulu dream of like, oh, well, you could just have basically, you know, I think the initial pitch for Hulu or maybe probably what they were hoping is to be like the Spotify of TV. And the more these individual companies sort of consolidate assets into their own little streaming services, the less that that seems to be a potential reality in the future where you could have like a Spotify of TV. But that's a big part of why this podcast exists is because that's what's happening and it makes it complicated. I, I think, you know, it, it's a bit of a bummer if if it raises the value of CBS All Access, um, maybe the next time I subscribe to it so that I can watch Survivor. Um, yeah, just the I, price of Survivor goes up for you. Yeah, maybe I will. Well, yeah, that would be the big bummer is if they raise their prices in conjunction with this. But maybe I'll stick around a little bit longer if they have some other shows on there that I actually care about watching. But we'll see. I guess the thing that's interesting to, to me about this is, you know, how big does a streaming service actually have to be for you to consider it? Right. Um, because on the one hand, I think you and I have both talked before about how we want there to be more competition between different streaming services and how that's probably a good thing how we don't want just like everything to be coming from one company but on the other hand like do we really want to pay for for a small small slice of streaming library when there are so many better options out there you know where, yeah. where's the tipping point where you're offering you know targeted stuff to when you're big enough to actually exist on your own yeah i don't know i mean as far as like on the consumer side of things things like hbo kind of show us that a service doesn't have to be that big I think to be a viable product 
you know, as a consumer, where it's like, I've kept my HBO subscription alive often because of one show that's on there currently, you know, and I'm not watching a bunch of other shows on there as I'm watching that other show. So it's like, in a, in some cases, you know, if the show's good enough, all it takes is like one show to keep a subscription alive to a specific service. Because in a lot of cases, you know, you could buy the season of the show, you know, purchase it and download the episodes or whatever, but then they come out a few days later, usually, and generally, you know, with shorter seasons right now, where you're talking about a season that comes out over two months, the cost of subscribing to a service for two months is pretty similar to what it costs to purchase an entire season of that show usually. Um, And so if you're watching anything else on that service, it generally makes more sense to like subscribe to HBO for a couple months to watch a one show or two shows rather than like purchase the season of Game of Thrones or whatever it is that you want to watch. And it's just more like, I don't know, it's more convenient than purchasing a show. uh, Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to own stuff anymore, which is very weird. I I was kind of, when we've been talking about uh, this stuff, I've been thinking about, you know, at what point do people just like not go back to DVDs because that's never going to happen, but go to digital copies. And I just don't think that that many people have like their computer hooked up to their TV. And um, there are certainly people who do. And there are certainly people who just watch TV on their laptop. But there's a lot of people who just like to watch TV on a TV. And that that barrier is there's a barrier there, you know. Well, and some of these services actually make it pretty easy or pretty functional to buy and watch shows. One of the shows that I buy consistently is Better Call Saul um, because it's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. Um, I want to watch it as it comes out. I don't have cable. There's no streaming version of AMC. So the only way I can watch it as soon as humanly possible without purchasing a cable subscription is to purchase the show. And I generally buy it on, uh, a lot of people don't even realize you can do this, but if you purchase a show with uh, Google Play Movies and TV, you can watch them in the YouTube app. And so I'll like cast it to my TV. It shows up in your YouTube app under your purchases, and you can watch it just like a normal YouTube video. Um, It's very strange, uh, but it works great. I I had no idea. But they never promote that. It's not something like you have to dig to find that feature and to be able to use it. So it exists out there, but it's just like they don't, none of these companies are making it easy for that to be the way you consume TV. I guess maybe Amazon Prime would be the smoothest because within the same app you can like purchase seasons of television and that's within the same like streaming interface and then i guess potentially in the future apple tv plus will be similar because you can like we'll be able to theoretically i guess itunes tv purchases and their streaming content will be in the same place although that remains to be seen i also know that a lot of people don't want to pay for amazon and then also pay to get these things that are not that don't come naturally with amazon prime but you have to pay extra to get and i think i think that that whole idea of price kind of dovetails into the i think our main story <laughs> it's weird to say main story after we've been talking for like 20 minutes on this, this one topic <laughs> but uh <laughs> which is tons of news came out about disney plus they had their d23 conference convention Lollapalooza, and they uh announced a ton of stuff they rolled out a couple trailers they basically gave us our first real look at what disney plus is going to be um they're definitely going to mess with Netflix, I think that's pretty safe to say. And I think the big, big story 
that came out is just how cheap it's going to be. What is it? Eight ninety nine? Yeah, I think that's right. They managed to hit that price point where the combination of what they have and the price, I think for a lot of people, it's just going to kind of be like, oh, it's going to be a no brainer for so many people to have Disney Plus um, because a lot of people are probably spending eight ninety nine a month to purchase or watch Disney content somewhere else. So it's it's the last time I, I feel like a, a product like this hit this price point was like a movie pass where I just kind of felt like I was losing money by not having it. I don't know if that literally will be the case here, but it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good price for sure. Yeah. So just to give you the exact numbers, um, and then I want to touch on that movie pass idea. But uh, you can get Disney Plus, uh, ESPN Plus, and Hulu bundled all together for thirteen ninety nine or twelve ninety nine, thirteen dollars. Yeah. Um, you can also get uh, if you have a Disney credit card, you can get Disney Plus by itself for six ninety nine um, if you pre order today. Um, and they have they have all sorts of things like this. And the crazy thing about Disney is that it's such a, a large company already that when MoviePass was hitting that price point that was like too good to be true, it's because it was. And eventually it crumbled and fell apart. But Disney is not going to crumble and fall apart over their their bundles here. They're so cheap because they own so much stuff. Part of the reason that Netflix has to charge more is because they've been trying to build out a library and spending billions and billions of dollars on original programming to fill out that library once um, other companies start snatching back their shows like Friends and The Office. Disney doesn't need to do that because they have movies. I mean, they just put out the highest grossing movie of all time. And if you look at like the top 10 highest grossing movies of all time, a bunch of them are Disney, Marvel, Pixar kind of movies. Yeah. And they also have a theme park and they also have like tons of merchandise and they also own ESPN. And (laughs) it's just going to be that them owning all of those things and having dibs on them allows them to put this price so low. In, in a lot of ways, this is almost the story that I think is is sort of the inciting incident for a lot of streaming news, the quote-unquote streaming wars that keep getting talked about, and then this podcast as well, where it's just, you know, how how this shakes up the landscape is is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, and I think a lot of people are, you know, very interested to see how it affects Netflix. A lot of people think, seem to think, and maybe rightfully so, that it's going to hurt Netflix. You know, they already saw a drop in subscribers this year. If there's a if there's a service that people are going to drop Netflix for, um, you know, this seems like it's the one. A lot of the other services that are out there seem more like services where it's like, oh, well, everybody has Netflix and or Hulu. And then what other services do you have? Do you have like right they're kind of add-ons or yeah but this one especially for families there's a demographic that this is hitting that it just feels like for so many people this is going to be the service and then suddenly everything else becomes an add-on to your disney plus i i mean i think netflix should be worried but also there's a there's, it hasn't happened yet so yeah. we'll see yeah do you think do you think that they're going to maintain this price point long term? Um, that's a great question. I I really think we'll see it go up in at, at least, you know, at some point in the next 3-4 years. I would say absolutely in the next 3 to 4 years. I would say even sooner than that probably. Yeah. I I think that Be- this number is meant to to be a splash and a and a a real shot at Netflix. Yeah. Um, which is how it's being covered. 
So, you yeah. know, I think Netflix and company are strong enough to kind of hold out. And I don't think this will actually push anybody else's prices down, although I could be wrong, unfortunately. And so I think if everybody else is able to hold strong, sort of, you know, and maybe even one or two will cave in the worst case scenario, you know, if this really gouges uh, at some of the other services. But if everybody else holds strong and keeps kind of the current pricing standards, Disney's just going to be sitting there sort of on its hands and could easily, if the service is most likely a hit, you know, raise its prices and still be, it could raise its prices a little bit from this price point, still be beating the competition and just be making more money, probably without losing many people. Yeah, I think the the play here by Disney is to, you know, kind of nip this in the bud for other services that are starting in the same the same time period. Try not really let Apple TV get off the ground. Uh, try to not let HBO Max get that far, stuff like that. Um, I think you're right. I don't think that there's any way that it's going to kill Netflix that fast. Who knows? I mean, maybe maybe a year from now we're like, wow, how did we not see that coming? But yeah, I think that I think that what they're trying to do here is they have tons of resources, they have a huge library, and they are trying to make a big splash right away. I think what they want is you know after the first quarter of being launched to basically announce we've added x number of subscribers that's a much bigger headline than we made this much money yeah Um, yeah a question i have for you about this whole thing is like what's your personal excitement level about like disney plus like are you pre-ordering and and uh like what is there content on there that you're itching to get at uh that's a that's a great question also another great question just full of great questions (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i that's what i'm here for (laughs) i I'm going to get Disney Plus because um, I'm covering TV and it's going to be pretty hard to cover TV without having it. Yeah. But at the same time, I a lot of the big selling points for Disney Plus are kind of uninteresting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not that interested in having all of the Marvel movies on demand. Um, I know that there are lots of people who really like putting those on all the time, but almost all of those I have watched once and never seen again or um that i that would always be my go-to if i was on a plane would be whatever the latest marvel movie was right that i didn't catch in theaters because it's just like a comfort food i don't know it's like very easy to watch um i kind of want to know what has happened but i don't really care that much you know so um yeah that might just be a me thing but just in general i'm not interested in having a huge library of movies now, they definitely are pushing out a lot of TV shows, and they've started talking about them. They dropped the trailer for The Mandalorian, which is their Star Wars show. They have a couple of other stuff, but that seems to be the furthest along. The other stuff seems to be kind of nebulous at the moment. Yeah. That looks interesting. I'll definitely watch that. Uh, part of why I asked that was, in thinking about this, because I'm in a similar place. You know, I'm not a huge Marvel fan. I'll watch I'll watch the movies you know, at some point, uh, I, ha- I actually, I used to be a huge Pixar fan, but I haven't seen a Pixar film in like years. What, what was the last um, one you saw? So, like in, like would, in theaters actually... or even not in theaters. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's been a really long time. I haven't seen Incredibles 2. I haven't seen Coco. Coco. I haven't seen Toy Story 4. Have you seen Cars 3? Uh, Car- I haven't seen Cars 3. Have you seen Finding Dory? Uh, nope. Have you seen The Good Dinosaur? Nope. Inside Out was in 2015, so it was five, four okay. years ago. Uh, yeah. I Monsters University? That. Nope. Brave? Yes. That okay. would have been the last one I saw. That was uh, June 22nd, 2012. Okay. So <laughs> it's been a while. So yeah, I'm probably not the target demographic for um, 
this i saw avengers endgame but that was like an infinity war but those were the first like event like marvel movies i had watched in like a year or so i saw endgame Um, in theaters but i didn't see i saw infinity war like a year after it came out right yeah so all that to say i i wouldn't i wouldn't be that if i weren't somebody who was covering this stuff i probably wouldn't be signing up immediately except for the mandalorian because i am while not a huge star wars fan i am a star wars fan and so like the existence of that one show uh and my interest in it is enough for me to be like okay yeah i'll slap down the you know 7.99 a month or whatever it's going to be just for the disney plus just so i can check out the mandalorian and see if it's good so i just think that's an interesting like personal anecdotal data point of like i wouldn't be that interested in this thing but there's this one show that i'm interested in um, yeah, and I think that The Mandalorian is very much going to be is very much going to kind of fill that take over the internet um, yeah. role of that time because a it's going to dovetail really nicely with the launch of this bright shiny new uh, product. So I think that any coverage of Disney Plus will also talk about The Mandalorian, and any Mandalorian coverage will also talk about Disney Plus. So I think th- that is going to be a boost automatically. B, it's Star Wars, and it's coming out like a couple months before the the next Star Wars movie, which is a nice little like teaser for a lot of people. And uh, something that is that uh, Disney has been talking about is that it's going to be coming out week to week. So they're going to drop like two or three right away when the when the service comes out and then it's going to be a week-to-week show which really allows you to talk about it with other people it allows it to build momentum and i think that you know it doesn't really make any sense for them to have another show on that level at the same time as this one um yeah so it makes sense that they would kind of push everything behind this one thing they have a, t- a huge library already of all the disney shows all of the disney movies all the pixar movies all the marvel movies blah 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 and then once The Mandalorian has had its run, then they'll have another show, then they'll have another show, and that way they can kind of take over the cycle of talking about stuff, which I think is really smart. Yeah, yeah. And in, in that way, like, it, it almost positions itself as, like, HBO uh, with a better, a larger pre-existing library and more of a, a slightly different demographic. There's certainly overlap, but a more family-focused um demographic and more franchisey yeah yeah but yeah that weekly thing is interesting because most people have kind of followed the netflix model with that people who aren't currently constrained by putting out a a show for tv and then also on a streaming platform yeah amazon has definitely uh launched stuff all at once Uh, i know um, marvelous mrs mazel was like that Um, obviously netflix does that I know that Hulu, which is now owned by Disney in in full, or at least enough that it's their product, I know that they, at least for The Handmaid's Tale, would dump like three episodes and then go week by week. They did that with Castle Rock as well. I think that in general, that's the way Hulu has has operated. Right. But I also think that Shrill and some other shows have dropped all at once. They, They kind of have been... They've experimented. More. Yeah, they've been experimenting. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious if if Disney is leaning on sort of that data to make that decision about how to roll stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the idea of binging versus uh, launching it all at once or launching it week by week is a is kind of going to be one of the defining questions of these you know streaming yeah. wars. Um, yeah, IGN did a yeah. did a recent Twitter poll 
where they asked people. So obviously this is a, not a huge sample size, but I think like 46,000 people responded. And 69% of them said that they prefer to consume their content all at once, um, as nice. opposed to 31% on a weekly basis. I would have, I think I would have expected maybe a little bit more balance between those two. Um, but I'm not surprised that the all at once is the winner there. I think, I think A, it's important to note who IGN's audience is. Um, definitely going to skew younger. Um, definitely going to skew towards people who are are like big consumers of right uh, yeah. stuff. So that just saying that, just putting that aside. So it's not a it's not a perfect poll, but it's definitely something that I've seen a lot online. Anecdotally, people talking about how they prefer to watch stuff all at once. I've heard people say that they don't have time to watch it week to week, which I think is mind boggling. That seems, <laughs> that seems like a. a <laughs> I don't understand how that might work. I just hear people be like, I just want to, sometimes I have time to watch, sometimes I don't. So I don't want to have to like keep up with it. I just want to like knock it out at once. Right. Which I get, but also I think it's a recipe for tons of stuff getting lost. And I think that that's happened a lot. And I think something that we're going to talk about um, later in the show when we talk about Mindhunter is one of the problems with dropping a series, a season all at once, is that when it's a second season or a, a follow-up season, it tends to kind of just fall by the wayside because there's no there's no conversation on it around the internet. Um, you're not seeing all of these stories about it. You see it for like two days. Yeah. Um, that's like, oh, the new season's out, and Netflix will pop it up there for you, and then you kind of you're like, oh, I don't have time to watch it right now, and then a week later, you don't know that it's still there because it's not coming. You're not getting that that fresh like boost every single week. Um, yeah. In the same way where it was impossible to forget that Game of Thrones was on. And I think it's going to be impossible to forget that the Mandalorian's on. They're, they're arguably, arguably, shows like Game of Thrones and Westworld wouldn't be the same shows, you know, if they were dumped all at once. Especially something like Westworld, where for a lot of people who watch it, the sort of like ongoing discussion seems to be like a big part of, uh, you know, the experience of watching the show. Absolutely. Um, it you- would definitely change change the experience. Do you like Westworld? I really enjoyed season one. Um, season two, I felt was was they just they they tried to like outdo themselves, and <laughs> it was clear that they had a goal for that season that wasn't how do we tell the best story that we can or the most interesting story. They were like, how do we screw with people's heads even more than we did in the first season? Seemed to be clearly the the main focus. I was definitely um, confused. Yeah, I think that hurt kind of the story. Are you are you a fan? I you were confused in season two. Yeah, I watched both seasons. I thought I didn't think season two was very good. I also didn't think season one was that good. <laughs> um, I thought that it was. I I kind of had a lot of the same problems with the uh, first season that people had with the second season, which was that it felt right. like it was trying to just confuse you. Um, yeah, yeah. And I thought that the first season was very much like, oh, you'll never see this coming. Um, I thought it was just like a little muddled. I don't think it's it's not phenomenal TV. I definitely wouldn't put it up there with even a lot of other HBO shows. You know, it's not like the bastion of writing that The Wire, The Sopranos. I'm trying to think of something current, but yeah, The Wire, The Sopranos or anything like that. Earlier seasons of Game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But as far as like season one just being like a well-produced like... Oh, it looks great. Kind of fun to watch yeah. season of television. Uh, it, it hits those marks for me, you know, in a way that, um, I don't know, it's, there's sort of, there's shows that are broken in interesting ways and shows that are broken in ways that is, 
are just like annoying and make them like that's a less that's fun a to great watch point. yeah or lame um and westworld is one of those shows where even when it's broken it's still kind of interesting to me because it's like broken in an interesting way even after all the stuff that I've, I've said about how I didn't really like Westworld, I'm like all in for season three. Um, and I was all in for season two before it came out. They keep like <laughs> they keep like dragging me back, and I'm like, you know, I didn't like the last one, but it looks like it's gonna be good now. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm there's, I'm hopeful. There's, there's film directors that I have like that where it's like I haven't liked their last like three movies but every time they put out a movie i'm like oh man sign me right up i'll be there <laughs> but this is the one where they turn it around this is the one <laughs> it looks so good i remember yeah i remember being like uh being like i am done with westworld after season two and i was like i'm never <laughs> watching this show again and then it was like well westworld season three is gonna feature aaron paul and i was like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Quickly before we move on um, from from Disney Plus and on to talking about um, a specific show, we're going to talk about Mindhunter today. Um, anything else that you you saw in the news that you wanna you wanna spotlight for us? There was a an article you actually sent to me from Business Insider that touched on some things that I thought w- were interesting here, and they did a I guess well I guess they're reporting on a poll. Um, by streaming search engine real good um that is attempting to sort of rank the overall quality of the tv that each service has um so what they're doing is they're looking at they're they're defining high quality as a series that has a rating over 8.0 on imdb um and then they're looking at sort of the number of quote-unquote high quality shows that each service has um the quick rundown is hulu has 213 netflix has 203 amazon prime video has 142 hbo has 43 and showtime has uh 12 so i guess the big headline here is that hulu has the most high quality shows uh by their definition but i found this interesting for a couple of reasons um one of the sort of secondary pieces of information that i discovered in the midst of this was that amazon prime actually has the largest library of tv shows of any of these services which really surprised me i would have guessed hulu would have had a larger library overall right but in fact prime video has the larger library but they seem to go for the quantity over uh quality approach i guess um and certainly this isn't like an end-all be-all evaluation of quantity it'd be interested to see something that was kind of like ranking all the shows it's a very binary like is it over 8.0 or is it not is high quality um so maybe netflix just has like a ton of 7.5 shows um, that could kind of skew this in a weird way. But I took these numbers and threw them in a spreadsheet to figure out what the ratio of show to high quality show each service has. Ooh, fancy. Um, and He's a math guy. I, I thought it was funny because when they said that, that HBO had 43 high quality shows, I was like, is that every HBO show? Um, they <laughs> Probably they definitely just about, right? <laughs> Yeah, they obviously have more than 43 shows, but it <laughs> they are the clear winners with 0.22 high their ratio of high quality to So 22% show is of their shows are are high quality. Y- yes. And then um Hulu has 
0.11, Prime has 0.06, and Netflix has 0.10. So HBO is leading the pack by double anybody else in terms of quality to quantity. And that's why they're the most expensive. expensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's why, that's, I think that's why they can get away with being the most expensive for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and that was something that, uh, that we were, we made me think of something that we were talking about earlier. Um, uh, when we first, maybe it was when we were first talking about this, but part of the reason that HBO has been able to get away with this kind of stuff is that they, they've just been racking up Emmys. Um, they have just great uh, critical press on all of these things. And um, even though their library is way smaller than Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon, apparently, although I am curious to see if that is stuff that you can buy on Amazon as well as the stuff that comes free with Amazon Prime. I think I think they're defining it as Amazon Prime video specifically. Oh, okay, cool. Um but they I mean they can get away with it because HBO is just such a such a strong brand. But now that they're trying to I think that's something that a lot of people have been uh concerned about with the launch or the imminent launch of HBO Max and how they're trying to use HBO Max under the HBO brand as kind of this flagship for the entire Warner Brothers AT&T media monster to they're trying to pigeonhole everything into that HBO thing which is going to dilute it and maybe that ruins the brand a little bit or at least it's recognition yeah because there's that brand it like if you look at those numbers HBO doesn't have more quote-unquote high quality shows than anybody else but I think there's something about that ratio of quality to quantity that like you know if if one out of four HBO shows is high quality show whereas on Netflix one out of 10 shows are um that's a big difference in terms of like hits versus misses when you're just randomly trying something out uh on a service or when a new show comes out you know yeah uh how many times is for me at least i've i've tried new shows on netflix and just been like this is not very good and you know i've i've spent a little bit of time watching it that i can't that i could have spent on a different show but if i'm sitting down to watch a new hbo show there's a way better likelihood that it's going to be, you know, quote unquote, high quality. That's not to say Sorry. that Netflix doesn't have high quality shows. Speaking of high quality Netflix shows, we have both checked out Mindhunters second season and we've both or Thomas has made a great video about it for Netflix. And I'm working on my video about Mindhunter currently. Um, so we thought it would be good to talk about it in in. Uh, we both looked at it very closely and to talk about it in regards to streaming and, and all this other stuff. So Mindhunter season two. Um, yes. I guess the first question is, did you like it? I I was a fan. Um, I, I think the one qualification I'll give up front is like, in my opinion, it didn't quite match season one. I think it's a small step down from season one. Season one did a few things very well um, that I particularly love it for, which we can get into like, or I kind of talk about in my video, but um, it didn't quite like deliver on those things. Sure. Like, uh, like what? I just felt like the ending of season one was so strong. I loved the way they ended it. I don't know. It ended on a very powerful That last like third of, of the first season is just like banger, banger, yeah. banger. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the season two feels like it has a less cohesive overall narrative. Um, I think each individual episode is probably as good as, you know, the season one episodes. Uh, but I don't think it ended quite as strongly and it feels sort of bifurcated into like two different narratives. Yeah. Um, in sort of the first and second half. And so, yeah, it didn't, it, it wasn't quite as cohesive for me in that way. But all that said, 
um, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, you, you know, I think I think it's still one of the better shows that that Netflix has made. I rushed binge through it to make the video, um, and so I'm rewatching it right now with my wife. Uh, and and it's and I've watched season one twice. Um, <laughs> and there's very few shows that I've watched multiple times and you know really enjoyed just as much the second time. So yeah. I, I would say that I also binged it very quickly, but I was actually trying to stretch it out. I just couldn't because um, I kept <laughs> I kept trying to like I just like wanted to play the next one. Yeah, and I definitely feel what you're saying about how it, it the ending is kind of um, fizzly. Like I finished the I finished it, and there are only nine episodes in season two. There's ten in the first season, so I was like, all right, tenth episode, here we go, and uh, and then it just never came because there is no tenth episode, and yes. um, I was like, oh, so I guess that's just how the season ends. But um, I think for the the subject matter that they're dealing with, and a uh, slight spoiler here, they they kind of solve the crime of the of the second season, the major overall crime that they're investigating, but it's definitely a, you know, it's lukewarm. They only get a guy, they're only able to pin two murders on on this on the criminal on, on the on the suspect and they're like 30. <laughs> um, so so much yeah. of it is just unsolved and to this day the Atlanta child murders are unsolved and I kind of think that that was the point of leaving it so it, it gave you no closure in the way that these people have never had any closure which yeah. I thought yeah. was um was definitely done purposefully you can say that it uh, didn't work for you but for me I think that um that that was really effective and made me actually like interrogate that idea a little bit more um I really I really liked season two I thought it was every bit as good as season one and i think it's like one of the best made shows um on tv right up there with uh you know better call saul and and uh i know it's not on tv anymore but breaking bad was was always kind of that show that i thought was the best made um like you could yeah. tell that they just no, it, they spent so much time on like the craft of crafting every single shot every single detail um the and and all that kind of stuff and i thought mindhunter definitely definitely kind of like takes that that crown as well yeah the the performances as as well are um i think phenomenal i was just re-watching the first episode of season two last night and there's a scene uh between holden uh and anna torv uh what's her wendy character? wendy carr where they're sitting at a bar and the their perf- like their conversation is pretty like straightforward but there's just so much that they're communicating as their characters like in the subtext in the performance that's the i think that's the great thing about that show is there's so much there's so much subtext everything that you're yeah. everything you're watching is just the the tip of the iceberg and there's so much that you can dig into um if you if you want to so you've watched uh season one twice um maybe three times now because you were watching it with your... just twice okay twice and yeah. you're watching season two again i was wondering because it's launched all at once and we were talking about this earlier do you think it's better as a binge or as a um something that you kind of meditate on that is a good question i i'll say this when i was watching season two i was watching it quickly i think i watched the whole season within the space of 
like two or three days. I was wish I I was doing that because of a deadline that I wanted to get I needed to get the video out by. But I was wishing as I was watching it that I could slow it down a little bit uh, from the speed that I was watching it at, which I guess was only like three episodes a day, which isn't like too fast. Although I may have watched it in two days, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> it's all a blur. Uh, I think I I think two days, but yeah. So there there were times when like it's such a heavy sort of dark show that there's times where I feel like. I just want a little bit of a break, but, uh, but it's also, it really does grab you and it does definitely have that effect of like not wanting to sort of like, you want to know what happens next. It's a mystery it, and it constructs that well. So it's definitely a show that sort of like sucks you in. And I don't think I definitely wouldn't want to have to watch it a episode a week, you know, one episode a week over the course of nine weeks. I definitely prefer being able to watch it closer together. I just probably wouldn't have watched it in two days, uh, right? You know, if I hadn't needed to. Well, I think I think part of the reason that week to week works. Uh, I, I don't think anybody wants a show to actually be stretched out for nine weeks. Right. I think that part of the reason it works is because you're itching for the next episode. You're like, why isn't it here yet? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in that in that vein, like I think any show you'll probably watch faster than than week to week if given the option. Yeah. I wonder how they kind of. David Fincher and, and uh, Joe Penhall, who created the series, I wonder how much they they thought about that, you know? It definitely has the feeling of one, like, it's it's not super episodic. You know, there's sort of little stories within each episode, but, you know, it, it definitely feels like it leans more towards the Stranger Things approach of, like, this is a nine-hour movie um, versus some other shows that are that are out there for sure. Um, they easily could have turned this into sort of, like, the Monster of the Week style, like, there's a new interview in each episode, and they could have made this show, like, a very episodic sort of Yeah, procedural structure. kind of thing. Yeah, but they, they sort of resist that. I think. I think that's a good point, but I also have noticed that all the episodes are very, like, vary a ton in length. Um, there yeah. are episodes that are as long as, like, 75 minutes, and there are episodes that are as short as, like, 38. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it. there's there's an episode in, are you talking about, there's one in season one that's very short. Yeah, there, uh, there's that one, and then I think there's another one in season two that is that is also short. Let me double check that. There's one that focuses mostly on Wendy. I think it's six or seven in episode one, or season one. The second episode um, that's of 34 season two minutes. is 46, 46 minutes. Season uh, season one, episode six is 34 minutes yep, long. Yep, that one's really short. Okay. Um, yeah. And then we have the, in season two, it's 48, 46, 60, 51, 71, 58, 58, 53, 73, um, which is kind of all over the place. Not quite as all yeah. over the place as the first season, um, but not, not that much different. And I kind of never noticed it while I was watching the show. Every time uh, an episode ended, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, they never they never felt like long. As opposed to um, uh, Stranger Things, which I was kind of like, oh, that's just the, I guess it's been an hour since, uh, since the last break. Right. Um, yeah. It never felt like things were actually at a conclusion it was kind of like the episode breaks in stranger things were kind of like the 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 netflix are you still watching thing coming up um right, where it yeah. was like <laughs> all right if you need a bathroom break here's a good time <laughs> um yeah yeah whereas for this one it, it kind of there was much more of a it felt much more like oh that was the end of that chapter and this is a time to reflect on what we've <laughs> what we've done to be honest <laughs> um right it was a. Uh, 
It's like, I, now you think about that, okay? <laughs> I think that's that's a benefit to l- allowing the creator to sort of use variable episode times like that. Is like, if you are structuring something as sort of like a nine-hour piece, as opposed to a set of 50-minute episodes, you can kind of be like, okay, this is the story over nine hours, and where within a range between 40 minutes and an hour and a half is the best way to like chunk that up. Whereas if you just go, okay, we have nine hours of content and we're just going to create a break, an episode break every 50 minutes, that's a very sort of arbitrary, you know, way of like breaking it up, which I think is kind of what happens with Stranger Things. This feels like more of like a happy medium. I don't know how they actually approached it, um, but this feels a little bit more like a happy medium where you know, maybe they had this chunk content and I'm sure they did approach, obviously there's different writers and directors for each episode. So you have to approach it in an episodic manner to some extent. But I think the, the variable lengths definitely like aids in that each episode only has to be as long as it needs to be, or can be a little bit longer than it needs to be. You know, you're not sort of just saying like, okay, well we got through 50, another 50 minutes of the story so now it's time to take a take a break and come back yeah exactly i think that that's uh one of the more and more fascinating things and i know you've talked about it before just the idea that creators now with without the confines of putting it on cable they have the ability to kind of vary their lengths to the story that they're telling you know um yeah. you can tell you don't have to try and fit it into this fit like a square uh peg into a round hole um i think yeah. it, is it the other way around Squ- round peg square square, hole. square peg round hole whatever yeah um <laughs> wow i'm looking at the I, I just totally drifted off but i'm looking at the the wikipedia page for mindhunter like just list of episodes and they have like long they have long like descriptions of every episode in season one and then the first episode of season two, and then they just get progressively shorter until they hit season, episode four of this season, which is one sentence long or two sentences long. And then there are no descriptions for five, six, seven, eight, nine. Interesting. I think really speaks to how difficult it is for people to talk about these shows. Yeah. Like if you were writing, if you were someone who edits Wikipedia, an episode would come out and you would write the summary on it right then. Um, yeah. But when it's a bunch of episodes in a row, you either have to be pretty diligent about, okay, I finished an episode, stop, put up the next, put, uh, write the thing up. I just think that that's, that's fascinating that someone just kind of, in the same way that you can kind of easily fall off of a season because you forget that it's there, you people have totally forgotten about how to write about it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same effect happens um you know i'll occasionally although i try increasingly not to because i found it to actually be a detrimental experience to watching a show usually i'll occasionally go to like a show's subreddit and see like what the discussion is about that show yeah and if you check out the disc like reddit.com slash r slash mindhunter has soon after it came out had like discussion threads for each episode and it was just kind of the saddest like ghost town you've ever seen yeah Um, i and also i don't think that this is a show that's particularly good at reddit because there aren't like theories (laughs) like yes like you know everything that happens in mindhunter happened in real life and uh it's like done it's over with 
Um, it's yeah. not like a Westworld or um, a Game of Thrones where you're, I mean, Game of Thrones was week to week and so was Westworld, but, um, you know, shows that, that are a little more puzzle boxy. Even even Stranger Things, people post all sorts of stuff about, you know, what is the upside down, blah, 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 blah. Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying, though. It's very, um, and there are definitely things that I'm interested in what they're going to do um, in Mindhunter. Like, I'm really interested to see what they do with BTK. Um, right. Because... If you've if you've looked up BTK, you know that he doesn't get caught for like twenty five more years, and not after not for like twenty years after he's done killing people. So it's almost definitely not gonna be Ford and Tench who catch him, and uh, right, like it's not gonna be for a long, long time. So I'm I'm really interested to see how they tackle that. If it's gonna be you know these guys show up again, or if the message here is like you just can't catch everybody. That's that's kind of an interesting development in the show. Uh, one of the things that really interests me about it is sort of like the show's relationship to behavioral or like criminal profiling and sort of like the show's thesis about criminal profiling. Because it definitely has, especially in season two, it's presenting this sort of like two-sided like, okay, we're telling the story about, you know, new tech, these techniques that are being developed for catching criminals. And we're showing how they can be used to catch criminals and and how this is such a step up in understanding the psychology of these people. But they're also, I think, very clearly trying to illustrate like the ways in which sort of presents traps or problems or for sure you know, what the downsides are of profiling people in this way um and it it seems to have this very it's not lukewarm but it just it, it's a very interesting approach to sort of unfolding that information which is interesting especially when you look at the fact that like it's an adaptation of a theoretically very loosely it's an adaptation of a book written by the guy who holden is based off of who developed a lot of these ideas yeah exactly and so the you know the way they present it the the way they present the ideas and the pros and cons um is very interesting to me and i'll be interested to see how they sort of like if there's a resolve they can give to that how they you know how they do that um yeah definitely i think one of the things that really makes mindhunter a great show for streaming is that even if you don't watch it all at once it's very easy to feel a singular thesis in each one of these seasons um season one very much is is like one story and you can feel it that way and season two i feel like is very much you know the next step in that story it takes kind of everything that they did in season one um and they take they kind of take like a different thesis like the first season is all about like creating that theory trying to get into the minds of these of these monsters and season two it's very much about okay well you're you're trying to get into the minds of them but when you do that they're also getting into your mind and also the application of you know theory versus application and right you know you were talking about how the season felt kind of uh, bifurcated but i think that the second half of the season is very much like okay now we're applying that theory and does it work or not we don't know um <laughs> and it kind of works but doesn't work like great and i think that it's really interesting for me to think about whenever season three comes out and probably like two or three years because <laughs> that's how they roll um just you know what what is the next step in that in that thesis which i think yeah 
is something that you feel a lot more in streaming than you would feel if it was week to week. I think if it's week to week, you have you kind of really need to like sit down and try and piece together um, that that bird's eye view of the entire season. Whereas when you have it all in front of you, you can watch it and kind of ingest it that way. Yeah, it's it's part of a uh, it, it's it's an interesting part of something that I'm sure we'll talk a lot about over you know the course of this podcast. But like binging in the sense of watching something at a rate faster than one episode a week. Week, you know whether it's one episode a night uh, which I think is probably how a lot of people like watch these kinds of sh- shows you know I think a, a lot of people some people think of binging in the sense of like watching through a season in a weekend or something which is certainly how people watch shows but there's a lot of this stuff that people watch one episode a night or two episodes a night or something and you get through a show in a week or two right there's a lot of shows even shows that weren't created for the medium of streaming versus television there's a lot of shows that i think benefit from being watched in a little bit of a closer order you know some of my favorite shows like the wire i think really benefit from being able to be watched at a pace uh, a little bit of a faster pace and so yeah there's definitely upsides and downsides to each i don't know i think i think ultimately you know it might hurt discussion in some cases to to spread things out and or to have things bunched up released all at once and maybe there's some sort of middle ground that can be found but ultimately you know i would if they said next year mindhunter season three is coming out we're going to release one episode a week i think i would be a little bit disappointed i think i would definitely prefer to be able to watch it you know at the at the speed of my choosing yeah that's yeah i i agree um i would also be bummed out but I also am bummed out that I'm I'm just in generally in general bummed out that there's been so little like discussion of it online. Um, yes. And maybe the answer is that I'll just never be satisfied and um, I'm doomed to this life of uh, constant disappointment. But, you know, um, maybe that's, you know, maybe I just need to dwell on that for a little bit. I don't know. Um <laughs> There's a yeah, it's it's a weird, I don't know. In a way, like discussion of these shows that are being binged almost becomes more like movies. Yeah, like you know, you you talk to your friends and you're like, oh, have you seen Mindhunter yet? And they're like, oh no, I ha-, you know, or I'm halfway through or whatever. And how do you talk about these shows where you have to be like, well, what episode are you on? You know, and um, right there's this like. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm on the fourth episode, so this is what just happened. And you're like, well, has this happened yet? And they're like, no, oh, you just ruined it for me. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. the how do you know when an episode ends and when an episode doesn't end when you watch it and it kind of blurs all together? I don't know. I think that that's, I don't think that we have a great way of dealing with it yet uh, or talking about it. And I want, I, I'm sure we'll get better at it, but I wonder if there is an inherent uh, ceiling to how good we can be at discussing it when everybody's watching it at totally different rates. And, yeah. you know, I guess what is the, is that a, what is that a trade-off that we're willing to make in order to watch stuff at our own, at our own rates and to try and, you know, cause like Mindhunter, very interior show, very good to, to, to think about by yourself. I'm watching Succession right now and it's great to talk about every episode every week. Um, so maybe it depends on the show. Yeah. And I think it's a very new thing, you know, People have only been binging shows like this in the way that they are now for like a decade or less. You know, I think I think with things like Disney Plus coming out and taking more of a weekly approach with how they release content, because because it's it's weird. I think the fact that like people most most of the shows that 
come out weekly are still coming out on TV kind of like muddies the water because you're comparing weekly versus binging and you're comparing like more traditional TV versus a streaming experience, which is kind of like a negligible difference, kind of, but I think maybe less so than we think. And so I'll be interested to see like as there's more of this that we can kind of compare over time, you know, we might come to realize like one is definitely preferable to the other and, you know, maybe we'll the, the industry will sort of settle on some, you know, methodology that's that most accepted or that people prefer, or maybe it'll just always vary um, based on the show, you know? Yeah. And uh, I guess, I guess, I guess those are the questions that we will be trying to answer throughout our, our yeah. podcast here. Um, where can they find you, Thomas? People can find me at youtube.com slash Thomas flight, Thomas flight on Twitter, those types of things. Uh, I make videos there usually about Twitter twice a month so uh come check him out he's a speed demon i wish i could put him out that fast Um, (laughs) well it's all it's all i have to do right now so (laughs) Um, if anything maybe i should be going faster i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um you can find me jackson at skip intro on youtube and uh yeah i think that's that's about it uh (laughs) cool you can probably find my twitter there if you're if you're really interested but um yeah if you're if you're listening to this somewhere that's not a uh you know podcast client um and you listen to podcasts go subscribe to this wherever uh you like to listen to your podcasts yeah and leave us leave us a rating um that's what that's a thing people do Um, that is a thing people do all right uh we'll be back probably next month with another episode um we're gonna be trying to do these once a month i believe is the plan maybe faster if people really like it but yeah we'll be back with more streaming news in october talk to you guys soon all right bye